Holy is the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain. Forever we will worship, we will sing, we will stand before you and proclaim that you are the Lord. Holy is the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain. Forever we will worship, we will sing, we will stand before you.
Is it working? Just tell you, it gets harder and harder every year to get up those steps. And it's really going to be get bad going downstairs. So um, I I'm just want to let you know, most of you know who I am. I'm Robert Grimes. I'm the part-time missions pastor of this church. And before I make the couple of announcements I've, I've got, I'm, I just want to say how much a pleasure it is to serve this church in that capacity, to work with the guys and, and women that are on the mission investment team uh, that really, really have a heart for missions and for a church that has a heart for missions. And what I pray is, is that our heart would even be more involved in missions, local and worldwide, that, that we would become greater and greater and greater, greater involved in that. A couple of things I want to talk about is Seasons of Hope. If y'all notice, there's a, there's a box as you come in one of the doors over there that has donations on it. They're taking donations for laundry soap, toothpaste, and toilet tissue. And what we're going to do each month, last month it was God Tell, Mission Investment Team came up with the idea that each month we'll put a little box out there for y'all to make donations to. If you're here physically, you can drop it in the box. If you're not here physically, you can come by and drop it in the box. If you can't come by and drop it in the box, they'll definitely take money. You can make a donation. But each month we're going to be putting one of those out there for you to, to make a little donations to them. Um, they're doing the pumpkin patch this year. It's already started, but they're doing it on the weekends now. This is their fundraiser. It's by appointment only. So you can contact, like, Chastity. You can raise your hand. Or you can uh, contact Pam Hudson or Paige Pate and talk to them about that and make an appointment to go out there and visit the, cotton, uh, the uh, pumpkin patch. There's also now a video on Facebook. Dana Hughes uh, did a video with Paige uh, uh, page Pate about Seasons of Hope, and if you want to know what, what they're all about, you can definitely watch that video. It's a very good video. Okay, you all saw all the boxes piled up against the wall out there. It's a little different this year, but that's Operation Christmas Child, and we're still a month away from starting that project, but it's going to be different this year. Just like everything else has been different, it will be different this year. It's going to run from 11th, November the 16th through November the 23rd, um, it's going to be different in the sense we really don't know how it's going to be different at this point, okay? They're still trying to make a decision on how they want to do it. I think we're going to do it pretty much the way we have been doing it, except we're only going to have one time during the day that people can bring boxes. So it's going to affect how we do our volunteers. So what we'd really like for you all to do, we don't have it out there yet, but we'll have a sign-up sheet out there, but we really would like for you to put your names down if you want to volunteer, we, not right now, we're not going to have a specific time, just that, that you want to volunteer to help, okay? Obviously, it's going to be the same, same way it's been for the last, what, 10 years or close. The last day, which is Monday, it will be extremely busy and we'll need a lot of muscle to move, put the boxes on the trailers. So that will be different. So look for that sheet. If you, if you think you want to sign up and you're watching online right now you can go to you can send an email to missions at cwc.org and let us know that you'll volunteer at whatever time we need you and then we'll work out the assignments um, so this year a little different we're going to set a goal you know it we're we're really hesitant to try to think about what how many boxes people are going to bring because everybody's affected all of our drop-off stations and everything but we're not lowering our standards. We're going we're gonna to up our standards. We're going to have a goal of 2,500 shoeboxes this year for this church, which is a little higher than it has been in the past. 
uh, it's something that's going to be different this year. We're going to have our own page, Carpenter's Way page, through Samaritan's Purse or Operation Christmas Child, where you can go on because they're going to emphasize building your box online this year. But we can achieve our goal in person, or you can go online to our page. Do you have that up yet, or are we working on it? Okay. You'll be able to go on. You'll be able to build your uh, box for your, for your kid uh, or kids on our page, on Operation Christmas Child, and that will count towards our goal just as if you were bringing it in person. Those boxes will go to closed countries. And what I mean by that is those are countries that are closed to the gospel. Okay? So this is a great opportunity for us to reach kids and their families in countries where they don't allow the gospel to be preached. Okay? So that would be a, a really cool thing to do. Uh, and I think... Did I leave anything out, Chastity? <laughs> I told her she's going to have to get up here with me, but she said no, she didn't want to do it. Okay, so let's, uh, we're going to continue our worship. Let, let me uh, just pray for us real quick. Father, I just thank you so much for the opportunity to come together and worship. Father, whether we're in person or we're online, we thank you for, for, for providing that tool so that we can meet with each other, even if it's not in person. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move in this service, that you would open our ears, that you would open our hearts to hear what it is you have to say to us today, that what Mark talks about today would not be his words, but would be your words, and that you would guide us and direct us, and we would allow you to control our lives 100% every day. Father, we praise you for this praise team. We praise you for the worship we're about to have. I pray that you would enjoy our worship. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. in the room, you're more than welcome to stand and worship with us. If you're logging on, I definitely uh, encourage you to not just be a spectator, but actually participate with us. At your name, the mountains shake and crumble. Your name, the oceans roar and tumble. And your name, the angels will bow, the earth will rejoice, your people cry out. Oh, Lord of all the earth, we shout your name. Shout your name, filling up the skies with endless praise, endless praise, Yahweh, Yahweh. We love to shout your name, oh Lord. And your name, the morning breaks in glory. Creation sings your story At your name The angels will bow The earth will rejoice Your people cry out 
All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. We remember what you did. We remember what's been done by the God who was and by the God who's yet to come. We remember how you We recall the lost were found. You were present yesterday. You are moving even now. And we will not forget, Lord, you are faithful. You're not Come and we'll keep pressing on, and this will be our soul, and we will not forget through the valley we have walked, up the mountains we have climbed, over giants. with Jesus by our side. So whatever comes our way, give us courage to believe that what you started yesterday, you are faithful to. 
Just how this has been such a crazy year, right? For so many reasons. I mean, just name it, right? Anything that could have went wrong went wrong this year. And it's just been a crazy, crazy year. We're about to sing a bridge that just says, I'm breathing in your grace. I'm breathing out your praise. And we just sang a song that said, we will not forget. In the middle of all the craziness, in the middle of everything that's going on, the suffering, the death, everything that's happening, he's still good. He's still good. And his grace finds us exactly where we're at. He's still good, guys. So I'm breathing in your grace, I'm breathing out your praise, oh I'm breathing in your grace. Grace finds us, chases us down, finds us, even in the darkest night of soul. I love the line in that song that talks about whether it's uh, a baby being born or at the side of a grave, there's hope. Uh, there's hope. Um, let's pray, and then, uh, and then we'll jump into our text for today. Father God, thank you uh, for your grace, uh, finding us, chasing us. Uh, Lord, all of us, uh, we live in a culture, we live in a time, we live in a country, uh, and those things weigh heavy. Uh, it just, it's, just, it's just a dark cloud on humanity right now. But you are that light through the darkness. And you don't just wait for us to chase you, you chase us. And I thank you for your grace. 
And I thank you even as a child of God that your grace continues to chase and continue to seal and continue to hold us. And it is my prayer this morning that we would find great joy in the truth of your grace. So we commit our time to you. We commit our time in the word. And I ask that you would bless each of us, whether we're in this room or watching online. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Before I jump into our text this morning, uh, I want to remind you that as things are different and, and who knows when they'll be normal again, but uh, we're going to be communicating with you through email, uh, especially you know if you're watching online. So as you get emails from the church, make sure you read them. You'll probably get one or two a week from us. It's just updating on important information. And the things that were shared to you about Operation Christmas Child, uh, it is weird. And we, uh, some of those who we normally have assisting us are not going to be available this year because they're at high risk because of COVID. So it's like an all-hands-on-deck thing if you're able to help us during uh, this, uh, this season. And uh, tomorrow, an email, or the day after this, is it tomorrow an email is going to go out? Next couple days, an email is going to be coming to you. Just make sure you read those emails that come from the church because, uh, you know, we don't have worship guides right now or anything. And uh, this, we just want to communicate to you directly, especially we've been leaning so heavily on social media over the last eight months uh, during this time. And uh, there's a lot of us that are moving away from social media, and uh, our database is the best way to communicate with you. So make sure you read it. We'll still have it on Facebook and stuff, but that's not going to be our prime way of communicating with you. So as you get emails, even though if they, you get two or three a week, just read them and, uh, and communicate with us that way as well. Uh, we had a couple of people ask this morning how they can give. Uh, I forget to tell you because we're not passing a plate. Uh, there's boxes here. Uh, in the welcome area that you can give and also you can drop it by during the week or online if you go to our webpage you can give there as well so that helps you out there um, let's get into our in, into our study today we're going to be in Acts chapter 2 if you want to turn your Bibles there I'll meet you there in a few moments it was the preacher and theologian Vance Havner who once said we are not going to move this world by criticism of it nor conformity to it but actually by the combustion within it of lives ignited by the Holy Spirit. He's right. He's right. The world is not going to be changed one bit by our criticism of her or becoming like her. That's not going to change the world for Christ. Taking shot at the shots at the world for being sinful, immoral, uh, or depraved even, whether it's deserved or not, won't change or fix her. And becoming like them, well... Why would they ever want to be like us if we're like them? If we act like them? If we behave? If our, if our rhetoric is the same? Why would they ever be interested in the things of our Lord? Only the Holy Spirit can bring about real permanent change. And in the New Testament, the word for Holy Spirit's power is actually dunamis. Uh, the word may sound familiar to you because it's the same Latin root word from which we get the word dynamite. That's the picture that our New Testament authors, and especially Jesus Christ, gave us of the power of the Holy Spirit. He is the dunamis, he's the dynamite of God through our lives. The early church had nothing. They had no buildings, they had no money, they had zero political influence, they had no presses, they had no colleges or social status, and yet the early church would win thousands to Jesus Christ. Thousands and thousands daily. Today's church 
leans on methodology and programming for church growth and outreach. It is not uncommon for me to get emails from leadership teams who want us to pay to learn how to grow our church through methodology, programming, creative ideas, things that larger churches are doing. People and churches spend millions of dollars studying new ways of reaching the lost and growing themselves. And what we are about to see in the book of Acts happened naturally, or probably a better word is organically, as the direct result of the third person of the Trinity working through God's people. They would surrender control of their lives to Him, and He would use them. In Acts, we're going to see the message of forgiveness and adoption spread from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, into the uttermost parts of the earth. Its impact is shocking. In the book of Acts alone, we will see sorcerers, magicians, and murderers forgiven of their crimes and their sin. Industries centered around the making of idols and cult worship will literally be shut down because nobody is buying them anymore. They no longer need it. They exchange the lie for the truth. They exchange the man-made God for the real God of eternity. Even natives on remote islands will respond to the gospel and men and women will give their lives joyfully for the message of Jesus Christ in grace. The dunamis, the dynamite, the power of the one from, uh, of the Holy Spirit will spread across the globe in acts and the world will be permanently and radically affected by it. As I have told you on multiple occasions in the past, the United States is not the mother church. The United States is the uttermost parts of the world. Remember, he told the disciples, Jesus did, that they would be filled with the Spirit and they would be sent to, from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and then the uttermost parts of the world. And I've, <clears throat> I'm not going to do it again this round, but I've asked you in the past, how many of you are, are saved as the direct result of obedient missionaries? And usually five or six people raise their hand because they were led to Christ somewhere across the globe when the truth is every one of you is, is a child of God as the direct result of the obedience of men and women of God through the ages. We are not the mother church, no matter what American Christians think. We are the uttermost parts of the world. The mother church is Jerusalem. That's why it will end there as well. That was the birthplace of following Jesus, and it will be the final place on earth where we follow Jesus, uh, even in the millennial kingdom. Here's the problem, though, I'm battling, is now we jump into Acts 2, and you know that that's the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes. But the problem that I struggle with is most of us know these stories, and our minds are set on what we expect from each of them based upon previous messages or personal studies or thoughts or ideas on these things. Uh, in fact, one of the things that... Uh, that was very, uh, kind of hit me odd here when I moved down south 15 years ago, was just how uh, influenced the conservative church has become by the Pentecostal movement. These ideas and thoughts that come out of these texts, and while I am not going to go after tongues, I believe tongues is something for the church, and while I'm not going to get into sign gifts, the truth is that what happens in Acts is an introduction of the world to the church. It's the birth of the church. And lots of supernatural things take place. And we will work through them starting today one thing at a time. 
one piece at a time. And I will explain to you what I believe the Scripture teaches about these things. But I want to begin by saying that a lot of stuff that we've been taught and that we take. For instance, let me give you an example because it will come up in today's text. When I came to Carpenter's Way, and still to this day, it's, it, it actually cracks me up, although it shouldn't. Some people, because we don't have windows, think we're a cult. I, I've heard that. Isn't Carpenter's Way a cult? No, it's, you know, it's a church. They affiliate with Southern Baptist. It's a Baptist church? Oh, yeah, but they're charismatic. Okay, maybe we're, maybe we're energetic, but I get asked this question in a different way. Oh, you're the pastor of Carpenter's Way. Are you filled with the Spirit? Yes. When did you have the second baptism of the Holy Spirit? So, for those of you who grew up here, you know what I'm talking about. What they're asking me is, do I speak in tongues? Because the filling of the Holy Spirit is a term in the Scripture that's been replaced as equal to speaking in tongues or a sign gift. When in reality, it could have just as easily been translated in English as given control to the Holy Spirit. Surrendering control. Now, again, we'll get in that later, but, but what I, why I'm throwing this out to you is not to convince those of you that are that bend charismatic or Pentecostal that you're not doing it right. This text doesn't deal with that. And I'm not here to argue tongues. I'm simply here to say that as a man or woman of God, if you want to know what's wrong with the church in our country, and most of us would agree that, that the fact that we have 70-some percent that claim that we're, they're followers of Jesus Christ, and yet we still have an abortion problem and a, a moral problem and the crisis in this country, the reason we have that just leads us to believe that something's wrong with people who call themselves Christians. And I would argue that the reason is they don't know the Scriptures within their context. They don't know what God says about Himself. And creative preachers and teachers and musicians have said things that feel right and, and touch our flesh and make sense, but they're not necessarily biblical. And so we have committed ourselves as a church. And those of you who don't come to Carpenter's Way and those of you who do, over the next few years, we are recommitting ourselves probably every Sunday to the study of Scripture within its context. That means that if you are a Southern Baptist by genetic makeup, you're going to be offended. Jesus Christ was not a Southern Baptist. If you're a Pentecostal, you're going to be offended because Jesus Christ was not Pentecostal. And to be truthful with you, and I'll go ahead and say this, over the next three weeks we're going to be in Acts 2. When you drive by a church and on their sign it says, Obey Acts 2.38, that makes no logical sense in context. Okay, And I'll explain why in a couple, couple weeks. Just stick with us. Because you can't obey something that happens to you. you. You can't obey it. And the problem with a lot of Christians today is they read or hear about things that have happened to other people and in scriptures and they go, I want a piece of that. Which, by the way, is how some of our brothers and sisters throw rattlesnakes at each other. That's a biblical concept. The prophecy was that a righteous man would handle snakes, be bitten, and not die. And it happened to Paul on one of his missionary journeys. And if everything that happens to anybody in this, in, this, in this book is supposed to happen to every one of us, then it makes sense to handle rattlesnakes. On the other hand, if that makes your skin crawl like it does mine, then not everything that happens to anybody in here has to happen to you. And so it is incumbent upon thinking children of God, inhabited by the Holy Spirit, to figure out what God says about himself, not what the pastor says about him. Does that make sense? Our job as elders and as pastors is to raise you up to godly, biblically thinking people with a biblical worldview. That's our passion. It is not to make you conservative or Pentecostal or Baptist or whatever. It is to make you biblical, godly followers of Jesus Christ. And it is becoming more and more difficult to call yourself a Christian because that means 
so much. You could be a Mormon. You could be a Catholic. You could be a Baptist. You could be anything. And some of us are moving towards calling ourselves followers of biblical followers of Jesus because it's so hard. You get it? You with me? All right, let's jump into the text. Acts chapter 2. Lord, help us have ears that hear what it says, not what we want it to say. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound. Please notice what it says, not what you think it says. There was a sound from heaven like a roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled, what filled? Not the wind, but the sound of the wind. The sound of the wind filled the house where they were sitting. Then, what looked like, Please notice, it doesn't say tongues of fire. It says they, whatever that thing was, it's describing it to Luke. It looked like a tongue of fire. They, that what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled or under the control of the Holy Spirit. And they began speaking in other languages. And the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. I remember when Zachary was born, and I'm, I'm picking on Zach this morning as opposed to Anna because Zach was our firstborn. And you're going to get this, those of you who have kids or grandkids, or nieces or nephews. When you are preparing, and, and uh, when you're preparing to have a baby, uh, when we had Zach, they had Lamaze classes. Many of you remember Lamaze, right? Well, they don't do that now. You pay another $75 or something to go to baby classes. But uh, they found out that most men fainted or smoked a cigar in the next room, and so they weren't much help to the nurses. So Lamaze was helpful to me because I got to see that mess, and I was prepared for it. But, but they, would, they would prepare us for that. And so when we went to our four or five classes uh, at the hospital, I began realizing that something big was going to happen. <laughs> I know that sounds funny, but something big was happening to Julie. She was aware of it, but as the husband, I'm like, yeah. But as you start going through it, and you start thinking about whether you have the courage to cut the cord, you start realizing that this is a bigger event than you thought it is, that you can't wrap your mind around it. And the fact is that when a baby is born, that child is already connected emotionally to the mom. And let's be honest, guys, when we see that baby and hold it, that's when the first connection takes place. It is kind of crazy. I remember laying in bed with Julie one night, and she's got this beautifully delicate, oversized belly. And I remember... Um, you know that belly button was done to tell us the turkey was about to come out. And I remember, are those not funny because, okay. But I remember laying in bed one night and all of a sudden Julie goes, oh, look at this. And there's this like thing coming out of her belly. That was crazy. It reminded me of the movie Alien. I mean, it was in her. It was mo he was moving. He was a, you know. And she's like, I think that's his foot. And then she'd feel and tell me that it was his heel or his knee, or his fist. And I remember thinking to myself, this is just beginning to get weird. <laughs> then Zach was born. He was born, what, seven weeks early? Six or seven weeks early. And so, and Julie was very sick, so we were in the hospital for about a week or so. And that was helpful because Julie got so sick that she wouldn't have been much help at home. And so I had nurses around helping us. But I do remember the day we took Zach home. How much did he weigh? Three pounds, 13 ounces on the day we brought him home. His foot, I have a picture of his foot in my hand this big. We literally had to get doll clothes to put on him, and that was the precursor to the skinny jeans he wore all the way through college. But we put doll clothes on him because that's all he could fit into. And, and it was, he was so cute. Uh, he was a C-section baby, which are always a little bit more beautiful because they're not 
so traumatic. But, but I remember when, uh, so to, to take the baby home like they do today, you have to take your, ch- your car seat in, and they have to measure and make sure the baby will fit in. We had blankets around him. We had, I mean, he's, he's like that big. He was long. He was long, but he was skinny. He was like that big, but he couldn't fit in the car seat. So, and, and there was no infant car seat that would fit this preemie. So I remember them wrapping him up and putting blankets in there, and they put an oversized ski outfit on him. It was, it was in up north. And I remember them putting him, and I remember them putting him in the car. I remember going home in this room that we had prepared. We had painted it and prepared it. I remember, and I've told you this before, I remember putting him in the crib and going, oh, no, what do we do now? Because nobody prepares you for what happens next. You're, you kind of have an idea, okay, we feed him, we change him, we feed him, we change him, we feed him, we change him. And then we feed him more, and then we change him. And then, but there's a lot more to it than feeding and changing and not sleeping. That's a real person right there. And it's overwhelming because the truth is, and if you're pregnant, I'm going to give you insight, you don't have any idea what's about to come. And the truth is, nobody else does either. Because every infant is different. There are families in this church that had colicky babies. I, I was overwhelmed with a, a normal preemie. I can't imagine the emotions involved, the tiredness you have as a, as a baby uh, that's colicky. All these difficult, and every child is different. Some are quiet. Some are scary quiet. I think there's something wrong with my child. He doesn't cry enough. I think there's something wrong with my child. My child cries nonstop. I think there's something wrong with my child. He cries every other hour. I mean, it's just everyone's different, but you know that things have changed. And that's what happened on Pentecost. That's exactly what happened on Pentecost. I, I just, I want to remind you, again, and I, I, as I emphasize what's going on in the hearts and minds of the believers, I want you to realize they're no different than us, except technology has changed. But, but these folks, you guys, they, they knew, what they knew was there was, a, there was this gift coming from God. Jesus said he was going to send them. Jesus had said something about, and and can I say something that might be controversial? But I, I think about 70% of what Jesus said to the disciples went right over their head. Because a lot of times he would say something and they thought they understood. And just like with you and I, it turns out different. And we look back and we go, that's what he was talking about. But they're like, that doesn't look at all like I thought it would look. And you know, all they knew was that, that God was, Jesus was leaving them and he had to leave them because something better was going to come along and it had something to do with the Holy Spirit. And that and, 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 and when the Holy Spirit came, it'd be awesome, and they would be used in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the innermost parts of the world. But they had no idea what that looked like. This is what that looked like. This is exactly what that looked like. He had promised them that they were going to be empowered from within. This was, a, this was an expected moment, I want to be careful to say. They expected this gift to come. They just had no idea what it would look like and what it would do in their lives. Just as Jesus had told them, God had not left these people as orphans when he ascended. Remember that verse? I will not leave you. I'm leaving you, but I will not leave you as orphans. This is that. Acts 2 is that. It's Jesus fulfilling that promise. God the Holy Spirit had just descended and now lived within them. And he would never ever leave them again. Just like he had promised. Their lives were now uh, available to his use any way he would see fit. Everything had now changed for these men and women, much like us when we brought Zach home. But like Julie and I when we brought Zach home from the hospital, while we knew something big had happened, we really had no clue what had happened, what it would mean for us. 
And I got to tell you, for those of you who have children who've been through the process that I'm talking about, let me tell you, there's another phase that's going to come after high school. It is a totally different thing to parent adult children. That's a whole different animal. It's, and it's wonderful and terrible. But it's just as complicated and just as strange. Everything was different for these men and women because of Acts 2. But like Julie and I, when we brought him home from the hospital, they had no clue what had changed. Paul explains the impacts of this moment for us out of Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. All who had been united with Christ in baptism and baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes there's no longer Jew Gentile slave or free male or female for you are all one in Christ Jesus now now think on this okay I'm gonna take you to 11 and I want you to get this I'm gonna keep going over and over this because we've got to get our minds around it Paul is describing in these two verses what happens at baptism baptism into the body of Christ at the moment of salvation and what he describes isn't just our heaven, but, but the unity. It's not Jew or Gentile. It's not slave or free. It's not woman or man. It's one body in Christ. You see, and this is really timely for us to understand. The body of Christ, no matter what time in history, should be a place of radical equality. Because the thing that binds us together is not a moral code. It's not a religious upbringing. Although those things today in our culture unite us. It's not a political affiliation, which has a big impact on the church today, especially during the season. But none of those things should be the uniting factor. The uniting factor is the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't matter if you're black, white, rich or poor, yellow or brown, it doesn't matter if you grew up slave or free. It doesn't really matter if you're a socialist or a Republican. It doesn't matter because none of those things are supposed to unite us. What unites us is what Jesus Christ did. And that's what happened in the upper room that day. There were men and women, and you know that women were looked lowly upon. There were Gentiles and Jews. There were people from Galilee and other places. They had one thing in common like we talked about last week, and that was Jesus Christ. And boy, as I've been reading this again, reading Acts, i got to tell you that I am afraid that the church has created other things that we have in common outside of Jesus, and Jesus is a little bit of an afterthought today. It's not that we don't love Him or appreciate grace, but beyond that, we push political movements, we push moral movements, we push our country, we push uh, our own agenda, we push uh, whatever. When this is what happened according to Paul... All who have been united with Christ in, baptize, in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Radically equal. In 1 Corinthians 12, 13, again, Paul basically repeats himself. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some slaves, uh, and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we share that same spirit. And, and I want you to realize that these are the things that Paul writes about baptism into the family of God. And in a moment, I'm going to come back to Pentecost because that's what happened that day, and I'll show you how we know that's what happened that day. But it's really important in this time of racial uh, frustration... Be careful because the thing that unites you with a black person or brown person, even a person who doesn't agree with you politically, is not that you can convince them to be like you. It is Jesus Christ. It is the Holy Spirit in us that unites us. Radical equality. 
In Acts 2, our heroes are waiting for this moment to happen, even though they have no clue what it'll look like. Let me remind you, as I've already said, Acts 1, 4 through 5. Once again, Jesus, and I added Jesus' name, he was eating with them. He commanded them, this is before his ascension, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you a gift. Uh, the gift he promised, as I told you before. So he'd been saying this. Listen to what he says. John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So now I'm telling you what happened because Jesus tells them what happens before it happens. And it's important you understand in this culture that baptism of the Holy Spirit is an act of being saved. It's not an act of speaking in tongues. It's not an act of a sign gift. It's not an act of anything else. It is what happens when the Holy Spirit comes in and you become the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that's what's happening in Acts 2. How do I know that? Because Acts 1, 4, and 5 tells you that. And it's really important that you realize that, the, that, again, that when somebody takes Acts 2 and tries to get you to behave in a certain way, you need to go back to Acts 1 to find out what happened in Acts 2. Context matters. Jesus said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. They had no idea what that would look like. They were waiting for this gift, this baptism thing. They understood the concept of baptism. Baptism was a very common concept in the New Testament times. You were baptized constantly as a Jew. There's a term called a mitzvah outside of synagogues, outside of many wealthy people's houses before you went into the temple area. It's a bathing. It's like a big tub. And you would be baptized constantly. They were baptizing people into that. Or a person would even baptize themselves at time. And what they're saying is, I'm putting my life aside for this thing. I am joining the synagogue. I am joining this. Baptism wasn't an uncommon uh, concept. But what was uncommon is Jesus is now saying, you're about to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. What? And like everything else, they did exactly what you and I would have done. Whatever. Thank you. I'm looking forward to it. I wonder what it'll look like. We know what they thought it was, though. And again, I'm, I, I'm re repeating what we've been saying the last few weeks. In Acts 1-6, the very next verse, it tells him, after he says, I've told you before that you're going to be baptized by the Holy Spirit, you want to know what they were thinking? Look at verse 6. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore the kingdom? So they thought that this gift that he was sending, this baptism of the Holy Spirit, would actually set up the kingdom that they wanted and free Israel. I, I hope that you're not bored of this, but it's digging deep under your skin that that's all these people cared about. In the same way, that most Christians, all they care about is going to heaven. They didn't realize that there was more to their task. I mean, they kind of knew. They had walked with Jesus all these years. But their big thing was heaven on earth, Israel, kingdom. This is, this is the context, Acts 1, 4 through 6. Jesus begins by saying something's going to happen. The Holy Spirit's going to come. You're going to be baptized. And their next question constantly over and over is, so that's the kingdom? Is that the kingdom? In Acts 2, it tells us what it looks like, though, no matter what they expected. While they may have expected the kingdom coming, in verse 2, or 1 and 2, it tells us that on the day of Pentecost, as the believers were meeting together in one place, suddenly there was a sound from heaven like a roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting, then it looked like flames of fire or tongues of fire appeared and settled on them. It wasn't a kingdom or a throne. It wasn't Jesus coming down in his glory. It wasn't a rapture. It was them being filled. The baptism of the Holy Spirit was a literal, real thing. And they had just experienced it. That was it. In the same way, now, now get this, this is consistent with how God works with people. In the same way that the angels proclaimed the shepherd, to the shepherds the birth announcement of His Son, 
while they're out in the field doing their thing. I remember that that is a romantic inclination of us during Christmas, but to them, they were working. They were working their sheep at night. And the angels came and said, it's happening. What's happening? The prophecy of the Old Testament. Go to Bethlehem and see Him. We like that. We have songs about it. We think, but, but remember, they weren't into it. They were just doing their job. And I would argue that the disciples, like we talked about last week, the 120 followers are just meeting together again because that's what they did, waiting for the gift. And when they were waiting for the gift, suddenly it came in a way that was unexpected. The activities that Jesus uses to announce the gift, this Holy Spirit baptism, is found in Acts 2.2. There was a sound from heaven like a roaring of a mighty windstorm. In the videos, in the movies, it's always wind. It does not say that there was wind. It doesn't say that there was wind. It doesn't hint that there was wind. The Greek doesn't even give that option. It says it's a sound. Now I want to remind you that Luke was not in this room as far as we know. Later in the book of Acts, you're going to see, he's going to say, and we, we, we. So that's how, <laughs> all the way home. Um, but he, he is going to, that's how we know that Luke is now among them. But at this point, thank you for laughing at that. But, but for this point, Luke isn't there. So what is Luke doing? He's hearing this story. Remember, he began by saying, I've done my research. I've talked to eyewitnesses. He may have talked to half of the people in the room. And they all describe it not as wind, but the sound of wind. It wasn't a wind. It was the sound of wind. And why wouldn't it be? Does anybody know what the name for the Holy Spirit is in Greek? It's pneuma, which is the same word for what? Wind. Why wouldn't it be the sound of a wind? And why would he let wind be in the room? Because if it started blowing around the room, they would have thought that's what was making the sound. That's just Mark's opinion. But the fact is, if there had been wind, somebody would say, close the window, there's a storm coming. But God doesn't want us to misplace what the sound was. He didn't want them to misplace what the sound was. He wanted them to know that the wind was in the room. Not the wind, but the wind, whoo. He wanted them to know that. So he made the sound. And then, and we could spend, okay, then, Acts 2, verse 3, then, with the wind, what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on them. So whoever Luke is talking to about this doesn't say that there's fire or little candles. What he says is, man, I, I don't know how to explain it. It would look like fire. It was kind of a glowing thing. I guess it's fire. And then it was on each person as individuals. Now, you can go into commentaries and they can tell you that the fire represents God. I, I don't know what the fire represents. I mean, you, you could go back to the Jews walking through the wilderness and you have the fire by night pillar and you have the smoke and we can make those alliterations and you can walk away going, wow, the pillar of fire on each person's head was like, like directing the Jews. I, I don't know that. The Bible doesn't tell us that. I will tell you this though, that when you were in that room with the other 120 and there were little things that looked like fire on top of everybody's head, you know what you did know? Wow, every person is involved in whatever this thing is. Every one of us. There wasn't one big candle and by the way, I really wanted to make a joke here because I think this is the birthday party of the church. Do not teach that. That's a silly joke, okay? The truth is that God wanted them to know in this section that every individual, Gentile or Jew, slave or free, apostle or mother of Jesus, Galilean or Jerusalem person, every one of them, Every one of them was involved in this thing. Radical equality. The apostles were not brighter. 
Mary's did not float. She did not elevate every one of them, even the ones we do not know their names. 120, and we know about seven. They all had that thing over them. And why? Because in the baptism, everyone who had committed themselves to the Lord experienced it the same, and they were all brought in. This was the birth, birthday of the church, the spiritual church. And it tells us in verse 4 that everyone present after this. So the Greek phraseology here says, and on top of this. This is not a description, and I'll explain why this matters in a moment. This is not a description of what is happening, but what happens next. So you have the sound of wind. You have the things of fire, whatever it looks like fire, over each of them. That's the private birthday party. But now God wants to go public. When Zach came home, even though it was a week later and Julie was really sick, I stuck a sign in our yard. And it said, a little rodent is moving in. We wanted our neighbors to celebrate with us that something had happened. We're kind of saying our lives have now forever changed. So I put a sign in the yard. Well, God puts a sign in the yard. And it's what happens next. And it's not tongues. If you believe in tongues, I will help you. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. That's your passage. But it is not Acts 2. Because what happens in Acts 2 is not tongues. I'll explain it. Everyone present was filled or under the control of the Holy Spirit, and they began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. If we stop there, then you might think, oh, that's tongues, but let's keep going. This is important. Why would God do this? The next verse tells us, verse 5. At this time, so, so you have this event, okay? The birth of the church, the baptism of the Holy Spirit on these 120 followers, the people in the upper room. You have something that sounds like wind, and everybody hears it. Then you have these things that look like fire. And then it says, after that, everybody under, becomes under the control of the Holy Spirit, and they start speaking in languages that they themselves did not know. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. Verse 6, when they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear. So what was the loud noise? They heard clamoring and loudness. They were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. I want to be clear that we don't know if the believers even knew that they were speaking their languages. It doesn't give us that much information. All we know is that God had given them the ability to communicate. There was a ruckus. Everybody or lots of people come running to find out what the ruckus is. And what, are, what happens? The people are bewildered. It makes no sense to them. They're like upset because they hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed, verse 7 says. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee. That is not a compliment. That is like saying they're from, I'm not going to say it because every time I do, somebody gets offended. Mississippi. But it's, it's, not a, it's not a compliment. They're from Galilee. You know, those Galilean. They're not Jerusalem people. They're from other side of the tracks. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. I mean, here we are. There's Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and the, Persian, uh, the province of Asia. Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the other areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. And we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. 
They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. The celebration of the Feast of Pentecost would draw huge crowds of Jewish people into Jerusalem. Some say it's the best festival of them, the most festive, the most food to be eaten, the most drinking to be drunk. And it was a huge festival. And what's going on here, as as told us in this context, is you don't just have faithful Jews who might come for Passover, but you have the children of people who are Jewish converts. You have lots and lots of people who may still live in Africa and don't even speak the Jewish language or the Hebrew language. They may not even speak Latin. But here they are to celebrate this Jewish event, this Jewish festival, and what happens in the middle of it? These foreigners hear their own language. And what do they hear? God being glorified. Proclaiming the goodness and grace and mercy of God. I want to remind you of something that I tell you probably every other week. It's from Ephesians 2. I want to read this for you again, Ephesians 2.8, because it explains what's really going on here. God saved these people by His grace when they believed. And I'm talking about the 120 in the upper room. And they couldn't take credit for the salvation. It was a gift from God. Salvation wasn't a reward for the good things that they had done. So none of, us could, none of them could boast about it. For they were simply God's masterpiece. He had created them anew in Christ Jesus so that they could do the good pl- things that He planned for them long ago. Now follow my thinking here. So if this is true, that the reason we're still here on this earth is to do good things, if the reason that God hadn't taken these followers to heaven with him, but actually leaves them in Jerusalem, tells them to wait. It's because this was about evangelism and about discipleship. The sound of the wind and the tongues that looked like fire was the disciples' private celebration of their adoption. This is God saying to them, here's that thing I told you about. But I would argue that God then goes public with the announcement and speaking in other language was a sign in the yard proclaiming that what had just happened. The language part was not for the believers like the tongues and the sound of the wind. The language part was an evangelistic tool God wanted to use to redeem 3,000 people that day, which next week when we get into this farther, you're going to see. 3,000 people are saved that day by an act of God through His temple. Who's His temple? The 120 people. We've turned this into a debate over what Christians can and can't do and the gifts we can have and don't have. And why don't we have it? When this is really God using people any way He wants in order to communicate His truth to them. And you'll find out next week that thousands get saved as a result. The mouths of the Christ followers were not their own any longer. They had been bought with a price. They weren't here to restore Israel. They were here to set up the kingdom as God allowed them to do. uh, tongues as part of worship described in Corinthians is for the edification of the church, but this thing happens here for the evangelism of the lost. These things were done, according to verse 4 of Acts chapter 2, as the Holy Spirit gave them ability. This was the Holy Spirit's first evangelistic work through them as His new temple. So much confusion on this doctrinally day, I want to dive into it and make clear something I've already said. Back to Acts 1.5. In Acts 1.5, Jesus tells them, John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized by the Holy Spirit. In Acts 2.4, everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. The author of both of these verses is Luke, and he does not connect these two. 
These are two different events in the lives of these 120, and this is very important. Today, much of the church has married these two, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the filling of the Holy Spirit. They're not the same event. One of them, one of them made them saved. Well, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Jump ahead with me and look at this. Some of us were Jews, some were Gentiles, some were slaves, and some were free. But we have all been baptized into Christ's body by one Spirit, and we have all received the same Spirit. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's what happened at this moment. They were sealed into the family of God by the Holy Spirit. In Romans 6, verse 4, it says, We died and were buried with Christ by baptism. Not water baptism to my Church of Christ friends. I'm sorry, but you're missing the context. You are not saved because you're dipped in water or the man, the thief on the cross is in hell today. The thief on the cross, when dying, said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. He didn't say, quick, somebody squirt him down. We are baptized into the family of God through the work of the Holy Spirit as has happened here in Acts 2. In Romans 6, 4, it says that. Uh, it goes on to say, For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, the dunamis, we now may also live new lives. Since we have been united with Him in His death, we will also be raised as He was. Our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives and we are no longer slaves to sin. Amen. I don't have to sin. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is what happens to you as a result of God's work. Again, taking us back. The mix-up today about salvation is if you walk up to somebody that you're friends with and you say, are you a Christian? They say yes. You say, how do you know? They say, well, I prayed when I was four. I went to church when I was 12. I was baptized at 14. And I haven't been to church in a while, but I'm looking for a church. Those are all fine answers, and they may be symptoms of being a Christian, but none of them make you a Christian. The answer is, the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. I accepted His offer to forgive me, and the Holy Spirit has come, up, come upon me and has sealed me into eternity. That's the answer. While we have a tendency to answer, me, 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 the Scripture says, him, 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 him. And that includes the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We are often taught, and I grew up in a family that has much assembly of God, and I'm not attacking, but I remember a neighbor trying to teach me how to speak in tongues. You have to ask for it. You have to seek it. That is not, and they called it the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's not what happens here. Nobody's seeking it. They're just waiting for God to do His thing. While never, ever, ever in Scripture. So those of you who are bothered by this, here's my challenge for you. Because I know you love the Word. I challenge you to find one verse in the Bible that tells you to seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't exist. What does exist is to be filled with the Spirit. We're told over and over, well, Ephesians 5.18, do not be drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. This is the New International Version. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So Paul's exhortation to the church, of the Galatian church, is not to be baptized by the Holy Spirit, but to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. Actually, it's better translated in the New Living Translation, where it says, don't be drunk with wine because that'll ruin your life. Instead, let the Holy Spirit fill you and control you. 
You are never once in Scripture told to seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That happens naturally, organically, at the moment of your salvation. You are told over and over again to seek His filling and His controlling. The filling of the Holy Spirit is not complicated. It is merely surrendering yourself to God, offering yourself to His complete control after having been baptized into His family. You are not unfamiliar with this because in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul said this, offer yourself as a living sacrifice in light of all these things. In light of what God has done for you, offer yourself as a living sacrifice. That is the call to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. That's the call. This is why I struggle, and, and you're gonna, you know the struggle in me. This is why I struggle with doing series, thematic series, on helping you become better parents on Sunday morning. Or, or, or better givers, or better whatever. Because while I may be able to talk you into being a better husband or a better wife, that doesn't make you a better man or woman of God. And I believe, I believe that Satan wants you to fight the urge to look at porn while not being surrendered to God. I think that there are people with same-sex attraction that would give up same-sex attraction but do not walk intimately with God. The truth is, there's only two applications to all of Scripture. Let me save you, and now let me control you. And while when I can, I can get up here each week and I can tell you a different thing you need to do better, I grew up in churches like that, did you not? Every week there was a new application, something else you had been screwing up on. And you'd leave going, oh, I know God was there. How do you know? Because I feel so bad about myself. I'm here to tell you that you're worse than you think. But he's better than you think. It's an act of God that redeems you. It's an act of God that declares you holy. It's an act of God that brings you into a right relationship with him and his people. It's not race. It's not wealth. It's not morality. It's him. And then after, the one challenge to you is as followers, give up control. If you give up porn without giving up control, you are going to be a miserable person. If you give up alcohol without giving up control of the Holy Spirit, you're going to find something else to feed it with. You'll gain weight. You'll start smoking. Because unless God fills that hole by you giving up control, you're going to seek it somewhere else. And, and, I, and I, I, I want to I be, be clear here. I believe that most Christians in church this morning, the 70% or however many will go to church or, or claim to be children, I think they want badly to do great things for God. And I believe that most of them are looking for the perfect technique to be the man or woman of God. That perfect book that will move their heart for the rest of their lives. The problem is, we are not going to move even ourselves or the world by criticism of it, nor conformity to it, by the combustion within the lives of its people ignited by the Spirit of God. It is only the Holy Spirit that can change us. The people in this story were followers of Jesus. They had no idea what this day was going to handle. They had no idea what to expect. They just knew something was happening. They thought it might bring the kingdom of God down. It didn't. What it brought was the Holy Spirit inside of them that would make them the temple of the Holy Spirit. And what did God want done on that day for 3,000 people to be saved? for lots of people from lots of places to hear the story of grace and mercy from God. And so they hear it in their own language. If you fly to Uganda next year on a vacation and God wants you to reach somebody for Jesus, he'll give you the language ability. Oh, don't be silly. Why is that silly? I mean, a lot of your teachers... And you're, you're kind of struggling through figuring this. Just, just to be clear, 
I know that that's how you feed your family, but that is not how God sees it. You're on mission. And he will use you in the most difficult, trying, weird situations. He will empower you with exactly the toolkit you need. Why? Because God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for it. It's a gift from God. Salvation wasn't a reward for good things that you had done. So you can't even boast about it. You're God's masterpiece. He's the one who did the work to draw you to Himself. He's the one who baptized you into His family through the blood of Jesus Christ. He's the one who sent the Holy Spirit to seal you. You are His masterpiece. And now He has created you anew in Christ Jesus so that you can do the good things He planned for you long ago. Well, how do I know what they are? If I knew what they were, I would do them. They didn't know what they were. They were just a bunch of people in an upper room waiting for God to do something else. They had no idea. And I think, We've got to come to terms with the fact that we have no idea what God wants to do in our country, in our lives, in our community. And maybe we should stop trying to figure it out and just be available. If you are here this morning or watching online and you carry bitterness against somebody, you can't be filled with the Holy Spirit. You've got to forgive. You've got to surrender. Surrender your rights. Surrender your family. Surrender control. Surrender your marriage. It's not easy but it is instantaneous. There has to be somebody out there who's a thinking person who's going, okay, but when I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, how do I know if I'm filled? A lot of the church says you know when you're filled, which is why some churches believe that you, are not, you can't be assured of salvation unless you speak in tongues. Have you heard that? Well, the reason is, is because they're marrying the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 with the control of the Holy Spirit. There's only one problem with that. The Bible very clearly tells us what the fruit of the Spirit's presence in our life is. You know what it is. And it's not speaking in tongues. It's Galatians 2 or 5. It's love. It's joy. It's goodness. It's kindness. It's self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Paul couldn't be more clear. Well, that takes too much time to evaluate. I'd rather have tongues. I'd rather have something written in signature. Well, his promise is good enough. He promised to redeem you if you call on the name of the Lord so you can trust him. But if you're not sure if he did, look at your life. And if you don't have the fruit of the Spirit, and I'm not talking about tongues, if you don't have the fruit of the Spirit, then you need to go back to the Savior and get on your knees and thank him for grace. Well, I believe in once saved, always saved. So do I. But if you don't have the fruit of salvation, then maybe you're not. Well, how do I know if I am? Fruit of the Spirit. So what do you want me to do? I want you to go back to the Savior and tell Him you need saving. It's not complicated except in the church. Because we like to argue doctrine. When the calling of all this, the one thing we have in common is Jesus Christ. Your relationship and my relationship should be with Jesus, not the Southern Baptist Convention or Carpenter's Way family. As I walk with Jesus, though, and Samuel Hughes walks with Jesus, as I walk with Jesus and he does. Guess what? We have fellowship. Because our focus is Jesus and we have that in common and there's encouragement. That's how this works. This wasn't so supposed to be join the church and have fellowship. It was supposed to be fellowship and be drawn into the church. And what scares me today about the modern church, and, and I'm going to tell you again, 
is the church isn't necessarily drawing people to surrender to the Lord. What we're doing is drawing you into the best children's program, student ministry program, facilities, all of these human fleshly things that make us feel proud but don't necessarily make us surrender. Better to have a piece of trash building and an intimate relationship with God all day, every day. And you all know that. Now you just have to decide to live it. Online. You may be looking for a church when this thing is over. Do not look for the church with the best facility. You look for the church that pushes you to Jesus. Not even to themselves. On that note, we have a membership class coming up in November. Let's close in prayer. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the clarity of your word. Satan doesn't care if we read the Bible. He just doesn't want to see it clear. And so I ask you right now, Father, to guide and direct and draw us to yourself. And as a result, may we fellowship with each other in unity. No matter what our race is, our political agenda, our moral background, may we be all about Jesus Christ. Thank you for the baptism of the Holy Spirit that happens in the life of every person who calls on the name of the Lord. And thank you for taking over control of our lives as we submit. So the application of today is, am I surrendered to God? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have a wonderful week, everybody.